Welcome, beloved listener, to Medicine and Psychedelics, a podcast where we discuss science, spirituality, and psychedelic medicine as healing modalities. In this space, we'll hear from experts in the field, share personal stories, and put words to the profundity of this work. I'm Dr. Lita Fatemi, and I'm buzzing with gratitude to open this container. Welcome. Welcome to the next episode of Cautious Physician Medicine and Psychedelics. We have Dr. Sarah Merritt uh, from Baltimore with us today, a very, very special guest. I, I've had the pleasure of getting to know Sarah in the past year and um, yeah, and developing a wonderful friendship. Um, Sarah, if you would tell us a little bit about yourself and what you do, um, that would be lovely for the audience. Sure. Uh, my name is Sarah Merritt. Uh, I am a physician, a medical doctor. Uh, I trained in anesthesiology and in pain management. Uh, and then as I've w- done work in the pain management field, I got interested also in addiction medicine. And so I'm uh, certified and have addiction treatment as part of my practice as well. That's awesome. That's awesome. And you've practiced in Baltimore the entire time? Yes, I have a, an office in Bowie, Maryland is my main location. Uh, and we have some smaller satellite offices around Baltimore as well. And I've been I've been in in this area in Maryland since about 2014. Oh, awesome. And can I just say, you know, every time I, I think about you, I'm like, that chick is a badass, like doing uh, all that you do with setting up a practice. And we all know how difficult and how challenging that is. And to just, you know, think about the financial part of things, the insurance part of things, and, you know, being connected to the community and, and remembering to do good work is, um, it's a lot to deal with. Um, yeah. <laughs> and have we've, if we've been successful at it, it's, it's been really because it's a, a team effort and, uh, you know, I, I do a lot with the practice, but certainly, uh, I've seen more and more through the years, you know, just how critical, working closely with, with key members of the team are, and that's, that's been a huge deal to have, um, you know, we have PAs, we have a nurse, we have a nurse practitioner. Um, we've had other physicians, you know, just, just working together with the whole team, our medical assistants, our, um, front desk and people that take the calls. It's, it's definitely a team effort. Yeah. You can't do, you cannot do this job just by yourself, you know, not even close. Just like, yes. Yeah. Not even close. That's what I tell L. Like L, I could not be doing producing this podcast without you. Impossible, you know. Impossible. Um, impossible. Um, how great to to um, value, you know, those relationships. I think that's something that we oftentimes forget in medicine. You know, being physicians in, you know, we work in systems and we think that's it. You know, it's just me making all the doing the thing, but it's a whole right. crew that goes into it. Um, doing all of it, but tell us about, um, yeah, you know, that we've worked together on life balance. And I think, um, that would be really great to hear from you. Um, what is it that you do to keep yourself balanced, um, in, in your daily life? Yeah. So, um, I, I've always been an exerciser and I think if you had asked me this pre-kids, I would have said, just exercise, uh, you know, and that I, I take some time to exercise or run and, 
And, you know, really I've found through the years of managing the practice and, um, and now I, I do have, have kids, I have boys that are 10 and 12, uh, you know, how do I find time for myself? How do I make space for, you know, who I am? And, uh, I've been able, I've worked on that significantly, uh, probably in the last year. And, uh, I do that with, um, conscious life practices and, that for me, that involves, um, meditation, uh, as often as possible and, uh, shoot for daily, but if it's not daily, I'm going to get back at it the next soonest that I can. Um, and, uh, that's probably the main one, you know, I still, I, I do exercise those, those things are important too. Um, taking time to have like, like little rituals, you know, um, like, uh, the way that, you know, Lita and I've talked about, like the way that you make your water in the morning and having it, you know, a certain way that helps you, you know, create space for yourself, being conscious of this is a way that I'm going to, to care for myself today. Um, that's been, been really, um, yeah, just, just a, a neat, um, twist on something I was doing already that, that just is, again, brings that, that like level of consciousness into those like everyday things. So, so that you're, um, connecting, you know, in a, in a more meaningful way. Thank you so much for that. And do you mind if we talk about some of the coaching? Um, yeah, because yeah, this is, I think the first time that we're actually talking about conscious life practices on the podcast. And, um, yeah. that's something that, um, you know, I developed through my own burnout and being like at the bottom of it and, you know, having to like crawl my way out and it did it, you know, it was, it was all self, you know, I self self taught and self like brought out, but there has always been so many people around, right. That have guided or even like little messages here and there that have helped me, um, get through my own darkness, you know, into the light and okay, now I'm here, I'm able to help other people. Um, and so that's how conscious life practices came about. And, um, we have a whole coaching program around it. Um, and every physician that I've worked with, I mainly work with physician moms because there's just that, you know, inner connection and understanding of what it takes to be oh, yes. a female physician and then a female physician mom, you know, it's a whole yes. realm of like, oh my God, like what is happening? There's just so many different um, forces that pull you in so many different directions. Yeah. Um, and it's so easy to forget who you are um, and to stop honoring yourself. And, you know, in the more recent months, I've like thought about conscious life practices that I also engage with every single day myself. So it's not something I just talk about or I teach about. It's about, hey, right. if I'm not, if I'm not walking the walk, I'm not teaching it, period. I, I find that unethical on my part. Um, and so meditation is, you know, my number one also, like roll out of bed, sit on the ground, meditate, even if it's for five minutes, for honoring uh myself in that moment um it really sets the day in a different path um what has been your experience Sarah like from pre versus post like let's say you know when you were exercising and exercise is absolutely part of the conscious life practices a lot of times we do it unconsciously we're just like exercise yes. because it feels good sure and that's amazing keep doing right. But being more conscious from its perspective of I'm taking this time and this space, as you said, 
to be conscious about what I'm doing, having right. muscles and caring yeah. for it. Yeah, I think it is totally different because, you know, the other thing like exercise for, for me as a younger person, and this may or may not be for everybody, but for me as a younger person, you know, maybe in my 20s, you know, it was maybe more transactional of like, well, I need to burn 300 calories because I ate an extra slice of pizza or, I, you know, <laughs> ate out or something like that. And that's like not real conscious, probably. <laughs> but, sure, uh, sure, sure. It's just really a matter of, you know, getting, uh, getting those, those calories, you know, equilibrated. I like um, what you call it transactional. Yeah. Yeah. Same, right. Same, it's like, like sure. in and out, you know, just like back and forth, right. <laughs> Versus like thinking about it. And, um, and I think, you know, certainly I, I've been, I've been a runner in the past and I think that's a great, that can be so, so meditative and a great way to clear your head. Um, uh, for me currently, um, you know, I, I really find uh, great awareness in yoga uh, because it's a, a physical practice really of, of mindfulness. Right. And, and that if, if you're, you know, doing the, the idea of the, the yoga asanas is to um, put your body in a particular shape and, and it's not about achieving the best shape or the most, um, you know, the best pose anyone ever did. It's, it's really about like, you know, your best pose and your, um, creating the, the shapes in, in your body. And so for me, that is, um, is a really great, um, is a really great thing because it, it has you focus on, um, there is the mindfulness of the present moment, the mindfulness of your body. Um, and then also I, I think just the way it's, it's like a non, you know, if you're, if you're listening to the right teachers, it's like a non-competitive thing. You know, it's, it's really about like pushing your own edge and it's about your own experience because the mindfulness is about, you know, your own self and your own experience and not really about, about anybody else. Yeah. Yeah. And that's something that we can all learn so much from, right. Because yeah, yeah. especially having been um, in medicine and I'm ta- I talk about medicine, not because all our, you know, listeners are in healthcare or doctors, but because that's what we understand better. Like, you know, my perspective is best from this space. Um, we learn so much about checking these check boxes and competing and, um, you have to be, you know, perfect as we, uh, have constructed for ourselves. Right. And, mm-hmm. and then you get to a point, you're like, that's totally, somebody's made that up. <laughs> like perfection right. is something that is an outward construct of somebody that I don't even know, but as a society has been set on me. And I I see this in a lot of youth right now that they feel like they have to show up to a standard that is not real. It's a complete illusion. So they feel that they have this chronic failed state where that's all an illusion. And so going to how beautifully you said yoga is a practice of um mindful body movement right that's right, right, yeah right. and um it's relative to you it's like mirroring right. what you're going through in that very moment yes yes yeah and it's and it's also been a great way to connect with with other people like on the one hand it might it might sound sort of self-centered if it sounds like it's like all about you or all about you know my own experience but you know, on the other hand, you know, there are, you know, friends that, that we make through these types of practices as well. Yeah. Yeah. The other, the other thing that I would share kind of around maybe meditation and, and 
yoga as conscious life practices. Um, you know, for me, you know, and, and I have done coaching, you know, with you, Lita, um, you know, one thing that actually was kind of transformational, but maybe wasn't even intended to be in the moment, you know, it was just kind of this idea around like, okay, you need to have a place that you sit and do this. Right. And like, you can lay in your bed, you can throw a, you know, a sheepskin on the floor, you can lay on a yoga mat, you know, uh, there are many options of whatever's right for you. But, but for me, you know, and I got to thinking like, what, what does work for me? Well, the dog's bed is right next to the bed. And, you know, I don't know that I want to do it in, in my own bed all the time. And what if I had this other place? And it, it sort of led to me basically building an office that, um, that I didn't have, uh, but, but kind of just this whole idea of like, oh, I need a space, you know, and as the busy, you know, working mom and, you know, with like a seven figure business and like, I don't have an office in my house, like prior to this, so like, well, why not? There's no good reason, you know, right? Like, you know, there, there is a space. I just have to like take the time and do it. And, um, you know, so, and, and I do feel like that's like a direct result of, of kind of that, that work and like consciously making a space and like, you know, this is, um, you know, you need a, a space for yourself and a space for, um, your practice and, and these different things that, that are important to you. Yeah. Yeah. And, and to, um, it's, it's, and the space you've created is so spot on. It's so spot on. It's such a beautiful reflection of, of you, you know, and that's, I think the key here and, and, you know, you brought up a point, interesting point that a lot of times we think about um, talking about ourselves or the work that we're doing on ourselves as being um, selfish, you know, um, and a lot of us do think that, but I think that we're so on this spectrum of sacrificing ourselves constantly for others that we definitely need to pull ourselves back and be like, okay, if I don't take care of me and if I'm not paying attention to myself and having this feedback loop of what works for me and what doesn't and what is um, feeding my soul and what isn't, that we cannot serve. We we have an empty, we have an empty pitcher, I like to call it, you know, and from there, you can't, you may have some muddy water at the bottom that you're serving yourself from and others. And so when we're talking about these conscious life practices, it's it's not about being selfish. It's about being in tune with ourselves and to honor what our real true basic needs are that, hey, mm -hmm. you know, when you build that space for yourself, you're like, Sarah, I care about you. Yeah. Awesome. And you, you know what? I want this space and I deserve this space and I'm willing to accept it as my space where I go and rejuvenate in whatever, whatever, you know, way it may even be like, you're looking at it from a distance and you're like, yes, that's mine. And it feels good. You know, and it's not about the worldly possessions of it. It's that this is a me honoring myself space. This is a self-compassion space. Um, and do you find yourself using it? Are you using it? Are you, how's that going? Oh yeah. Yeah, I do. I do. Um, I use it all the time. Um, it's, it's daily for sure. And, uh, you know, I, I find myself, you know, I enjoy keeping it clean and organized and, uh, you know, that's just part of honoring, you know, the space and, uh, 
if, you know, for just my own personal habits, you know, I will tend to do uh, a little work sometimes in the evening. Um, you know, I find it enjoyable to, to be there. Um, but that's like a, you know, I think that's not always the case. You know, I think, uh, I think that's, I don't know. I, I guess I just don't think of that as a given, but, but the, the, the space that I've created, the way that I've done it, the way that it's evolved, you know, it, it is, it's just like, like you said, it's really just a way of like honoring myself and, and who I am. And it's, it's perfect for me. Yeah. 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 That's so awesome. Yeah. And you know, um, that's what I find so fascinating about this work is, um, recognition of life being a path of self-discovery and Mm -hmm. as we tap into that um self-compassion space and clear our mind you know the signal comes through of hey Sarah this is what you need this is what this is what I need to feed my soul right this moment and that is just and it continues on you know and these these life practices are timeless and they have been forever. It's just that we forgot, you know, and it's a remembrance and it's also staying consistent with them that they make a complete difference in your life. Like the decisions we make on the daily, how we communicate with each other, how I take care of myself, how I work with my, you know, how the relationship I have with my kids, with my husband, in my practice. Um, And I think this, this may be a good space to move into your practice and talk about, Um, what are some of the treatments that you provide, um, and how you've changed it over time? Yeah. Yeah, So, um, you know, in my practice, we offer, you know, treatment for acute and chronic pain. Primarily. We also have an arm of the practice that's devoted to uh, addiction medicine treatment, and we actually offer primary care as well. Um, but most of what we do is in the the vein of treating patients with acute and, and chronic pain. And so that may include things like medications and injections or the, you know, medical treatments that are the, probably the most known. Of course, we, you know, refer patients for physical therapy and recommend movement, um, you know, but I have had, uh, we have moved toward, you know, talking to patients some about meditation or mindfulness ways to um, incorporate that into their um, daily lives. Um We've, uh, we've had a couple of um, online webinars that we've done with our patients uh, around some different topics, including um, nutrition, uh, but including also uh, meditation, and they've been really well received. Um, and I think what I like about maybe teaching meditation or trying to help patients add that to their self-care practices or, or their own conscious life practices would be um, kind of the idea, you know, for a lot of my patients that have significant pain, they may have fear around movement. Um, and the idea of referring for physical therapy or getting started with a program that involves physical movement can be, you know, scary or feel impossible, um, feel not doable. Um, whereas I think it's, there's just less obstacle to at least starting a meditation practice that it, you know, it really requires so little of the, of the person, you know, it's really just, um, a decision to do it and a bit of time and, and maybe an acceptance of the experience that, that you have when meditating, um, that those are, those are kind of the things. And, and I do think that, um, yeah, there is, there is data, 
um, that meditation improves depression, anxiety, pain, et cetera. Uh, it can be used to help with sleep. So we're still exploring, you know, how to um, teach patients about it, but we have um, begun and that's the first step. That's so exciting. That is so exciting. Like, you know, if, if talking like about this five years ago, it wasn't even a thing, you know, and, and now you're creating a path that is very innovative. Um, I don't know, you know, and I'm not, I haven't been in touch with a lot of practices just talking about this particular thing, but I think your practice is the only one that I know of in a traditional medical sense that is practicing, not in a wellness center, not in a, you know, but you have a very, Hey, these are the things I provide as treatments for pain. And now we're going to add on, you know, meditation to this. Um, that is so cool. That is so cool. And yeah. I'm so interested to follow up over time to see how, you know, it evolves over time. What, yes. what feedback have you received from your patients or do you guys talk about it or? Um... Yeah. So for the, um, we have great feedback from the group session that, that we've done so far. And, um, really everyone that was involved was interested in, in doing it again and, and even asked around, you know, could this be something we, uh, did on a more regular basis? So we're kind of looking at ways to, you know, what would it take or, you know, what would it look like to offer some more regular sessions? And, um, so that's, that's in the works to figure out just what that would, would look like. That's awesome. That's so cool. So innovative. Um, do you, are you, this is this particular one. Are you actually, are you leading the meditation? So far I've led the meditations that we've done. Yes. How does it feel to you? Um, very new. Uh, you know, I think the, I spoke with another physician friend who, um, does have some meditation teaching certifications and we, we spoke about it and this again from someone who does have certifications and she really felt like, you know, to do a basic um, discussion with patients, you can lead, you can feel comfortable to lead a, a meditation. And she really just, you know, kind of supported the idea that, um, you know, I could write or find, you know, a basic meditation to lead and, and feel confident to do that um, with a group of people. Beautiful, beautiful. You know, the three things that you mentioned were beautiful. Like, um, just finding the space, being willing to making a decision to do it, finding mm -hmm. the time and um, accepting what may come. Uh, mm -hmm. I think that's wonderful. Yeah. Um, and you are providing this to your own patients who already get services through your clinic. Is that right? Yeah, so far. I mean, I think we've, we've talked about, you know, maybe is there a way to, to do it on social media through the website where it might be open to a broader audience. Um, but right now, um, we've publicized it, you know, either through practice channels or, um, or online. And then through the registrations, we register our own patients to do it. That's awesome. And you were telling me that you're actually able to get paid for this, right? Yeah. So we've, um, we've had, uh, a couple of education sessions and, uh, I would have to review the exact uh, documentation rules, but it's along the lines of uh, you can offer uh, a group education class. There are some time requirements and then I believe also goal setting and then following up on those goals. So um, that we would need to, if we talked about 
you know, in the nutrition class, we talked about nutrition related goals. And when, in the meditation class, we talked about meditation related goals. So setting some goals and then um, checking in for a follow-up afterward. That is awesome. That makes me so happy that this has been, and we're talking about um, insurance getting, you know, paying. Right. Yes. That there are codes for, for insurance reimbursement. Right. 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 And this is, this is pretty new um, that, yeah. Yes. Yeah. These are newer codes for, for, for group education and um, to be, um, you know, I think it does require a qualified healthcare provider, which would include, you know, the, myself as a physician or a PA, um, you know, is, is who we've used in my, in my practice. That's awesome. That's awesome. So cutting edge, Sarah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, we're, we're trying to explore it all. I love it. I love it. And in the meantime, you're helping so many people, you know, to just like, not only are you pay- helping your patients individually, but they go home and there's a whole community, right? Their kids, their spouses, their aunts and uncles and parents and all of that. Everyone gets affected, you know? So if they're less depressive, they're less anxious, if they have less pain, their yeah. entire system is uplifted because of it. Yeah, no, the ripple effect, yeah, is, is definitely exciting if, if we can make an impact in, in whole systems of, of families. Yeah, that's that's even, you know, it's it's exciting enough to help one patient, but but even more so if we can can help their whole their whole uh family. Yeah, totally. And I and I bet you you already are and you don't know you don't even know it. It's <laughs> that is so cool. Um anything else you want to share with us today? Well, and I think the other would be that we, um, the other thing we do in the practice uh, is that we do offer ketamine infusions for um, pain and depression. Most of the patients we treat, we're treating for pain, uh, just because that's, those are the patients we have in the practice. Um, I have had some patients find me, you know, or seek me out locally um, for the, you know, more of a depression uh, type of dose. You know, there are kind of different protocols, um, generally that, that are used. Um, the infusions for pain are often done for patients with CRPS or complex regional pain syndrome would be one of the, the common indications. And in those patients, the infusions are often done over maybe four hours um, through an IV in the office, um, but for other, other uh, chronic pain conditions as well. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. And we, we have some, um, yeah, we have some great stories. Yeah. And, and in fact, I can probably, you know, tell you one of them of just, you know, de-identified of, of one of my patients who um, was referred to me, I think, from maybe his primary care provider uh, in my area. He was a, a veteran and a service disabled veteran. He'd had a um, a helicopter crash serving, I think, in Afghanistan. Um as a result of that, he'd had a lumbar spine fusion and a lot of uh, chronic pain in the back and in the in the legs and the extremities. And that's not a, an uncommon story for a patient to have a big surgery, uh, a lumbar fusion, uh, potentially after a you know a trauma if some of the back has been fractured, um, and and that there's sometimes persistent pain after that when the um, you know the whole core of the body has been, you know, destabilized, has been broken and, and has to be put back together. The other thing that happens in those situations is that patients have to take, you know, are usually exposed to high doses of opioids, you know, for pain control during um, the operative time period. And, 
you know, on the one hand, it's miraculous and wonderful that there's so much that um, orthopedic and neurosurgeons can do to have this person walk again, you know, uh, right. That's just not a given that that would even happen. Um, but in the process, you know, um, this veteran, you know, was exposed to high levels of medication, was taking daily opioids and, and he was functional and did not appear to have an addiction problem. He was working, um, you know, at a high level, uh, in the government and, um, you know, came to see me, but he was really, you know, he was in a lot of distress. And, uh, so, I was aware um, that there were some some services available. This was before I was doing ketamine in my practice. And I was aware because of one of my colleagues that was working at Walter Reed uh, Medical Center. So that's where a lot of veterans are treated. You know, traditionally, the, the president gets treated at Walter Reed Medical Center. Um, so I was aware that they had a program where um, they were doing ketamine infusion for pain for, for some people with severe chronic pain. And so this... Um, you know, we, we discussed this, this possibility, and this was a, uh, a person who was interested in this therapy. And I was, I was able to refer him just because I knew the people there, you know, and, and just kind of doctor to doctor, I was able to kind of shepherd him over there. Um, and I probably didn't see him for six or eight months, at least, you know, there was just a period of time where I had just kind of handed him off and they did their thing. And, um, you know, when he came back to me, um, he was off of all of his opioid medications and he was probably on like, like 200 milligram morphine equivalents, which wow. is like a, in the high dose category for sure. Um, you know, and was able to, to get by, you know, did not need that on a regular basis. Um, and, uh, his mood was much better. And he said his, you know, relationships, mood, overall functionality, just everything was, was much better. Um, and, uh, you know, I, I prescribe him some uh, non-opioid medications for pain. And so I do still see him, um, you know, on a regular basis. And, and he's had some intermittent uh, ketamine infusions for, for maintenance. But, I mean, it's just a really impressive, you know, turnaround that he's uh, been able to have. I mean, it's incredible. And that distress that you're talking about, it's, you know, I mean, I have a headache and my whole day I'm like, oh, my God, like this headache, right? And yeah. Then- Really, but I do appreciate the headache because it gives me that perspective, right? That we have these patients who are in severe physical pain and most likely emotional, deep emotional pain yeah. Uh, yeah. from whatever trauma they've gone through that has not been resolved. Um, and they're carrying that with them every day. And it is so draining to walk around like that and to be able to lift that off of an individual and alleviate suffering to that level is, yeah. it's miraculous. Yeah. Yeah. So we've really, we've had some, and, and he's definitely not the only, I can probably, you know, rattle off a, another handful of stories of patients discontinuing, you know, opioid medications with ketamine infusion and, and really just that their pain was, you know, treated better and that the emotional stuff was better. And, um, yeah. for a couple, several of my CRPS patients, I can think of that, you know, we're in a situation where they were needing a daily opioid and, and with uh, ketamine treatment, they were able to to stop. Um, it's a little bit yeah. about CRPS because I think, you know, uh, not everybody knows what, what that sure. is, how yeah. debilitating it is. Yeah. Um, so complex pain, regional pain syndrome is CRPS. Um, the other thing that you might've heard it called is RSD or reflex sympathetic dystrophy. That's just an older name for it. 
Um, but CRPS is the more current name. And it's been uh, it's been called the suicide disease because it's so terrible. Um, it is a problem that is usually precipitated by some type of injury. It can be a tiny little injury, like um, even an IV stick. There have been you know stories of a patient having CRPS for for that type of reason or no reason at all. Um, you know, more commonly, it might be after a a shoulder dislocation or a a, a cut that involves a nerve. Um, often, there's a nerve damage or stretch, um, but a, a lot of times we don't really know. Uh, what exactly started it. And then um, the process uh, probably involves some some pain signals that get turned on and then just don't turn off. So it's like a, a fire alarm kind of thing that's just broken in the on position and where the, the brain that processes a lot of these um, signals, the brain and the spinal cord um, are kind of maybe perpetuating this um, signal uh, is a lot of the, the root of the pathology. And then what it looks like for the patient is a lot of times maybe a, an extremity that might be swollen or discolored. It's extremely painful. Um, a lot of times there is sensitivity to touch called allodynia um, or just, you know, a, a markedly increased pain level. So um, that's kind of a description of, of CRPS and, um, it's probably an underrecognized condition. Um, you know, I, th I think it's classified right now as a, as a rare disease, but I think there's, there's probably a lot of gray area where people have, you know, some, some symptoms maybe aren't quite hundred percent of the diagnostic criteria. So I think for sure, these people in the gray area, no one's diagnosing them. And then even people who do meet the criteria, it's, it's not always clear. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And so as we have it right now, um, you know, we use the usual pain medicines, mm -hmm. uh, right. And in your practice, um, you've been able to use ketamine to help mm -hmm. these patients. And what is your success rate look like with these patients? Yeah. So the, um, the, you know, there are oral medications and, and really opioids aren't even necessarily recommended uh, for CRPS. Usually we try to avoid them if we can. Um, there are some other treatments like spinal cord stimulation, um, sympathetic nerve blocks that are, uh, that are often used for the condition. Um, you know, what's our success rate been like? Uh, I would say very good. You know, I, I think I've had maybe one patient with um, a pretty refractory CRPS picture that really felt like she only benefited from ketamine maybe during the infusion and didn't get relief afterward. But I would say, yeah, that's definitely been the exception um, rather than the rule that, that um, you know, I've, I've been impressed overall with the, you know, the results that we've seen. Um, so many patients feeling like they're, you know, 50% better or more. Um, some of my folks that come, you know, for a regular infusion as part of their care may get 70% or more relief. Wow. That's yeah. incredible. That's incredible. And, and, you know, I think you've kind of maybe talked about this too, in, in the previous episodes too, you know, I, because of like the neuroplasticity and right, we're talking about making changes in the brain. Um, this is not a treatment that just, oh, you're going to get used to this and you're going to need more and more, and then it won't work. Um, cause that is one way that some medications work in the body. Um, 
But with the ketamine, you know, I think you do have to pay attention to it. But, uh, you know, what we try to do is to make sure we're spreading out the, you know, the dosing as much as possible so patients can get by with the lowest effective dose. And for, for many patients, you know, they can, if they're getting improvements, you know, they may be able to um, spread out subsequent doses or treatments further, further apart. That's usually our hope. Well, that's great. So with a typical CRPS patient, how many doses are you seeing that you need to, or how many sessions mm-hmm. are you seeing that you need to um, have them yeah. on? I usually suggest, you know, plan for four and four to six is, is the recommendation. And, and then there's kind of like a space patient specific discussion that happens around, around all that. Um, so usually planning for sure for four and then kind of spreading them out. Like, so maybe four within two weeks is mm-hmm. a, a protocol we'll tend to use. And then maybe one a week later and another two weeks later. So kind of a loading and then some subsequent exposures. Wow. Wow. And, and there is, um, you know, for, for your listeners and stuff, there is a, a group called the ASKP. That's the American Society of Ketamine um, Practitioners. Uh, that is um, folks who give ketamine infusion in their practices. So a lot of it's, it's different scopes of practice, ER doctors, psychiatrists, anesthesiologists, nurse anesthetists, et cetera. And um, we this is a group that, you know, provides education and, and training and, and they're working on maybe putting some standards out there. Cause I think that is one of the challenges, you know, because this is a, a newer treatment, you know, there's not one clear standard in terms of what everybody does. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, no, that's awesome. And I mean, the, the lives that you're changing, I'm sure that is the most uh, fulfilling part of the practice, right? It's like, gives you so much meaning when you're able to get the patients off just better, you know, and yeah. off opioids and for sure. That's so cool. That is awesome. Yeah. Yeah. And I think, you know, the, the, it, the, the treatment just works better, you know, frankly, you know, for, for my, my couple of folks that I, you know, see enough that I, I really kind of know their story and like what they've been through. I, I just know that they would tell you like, Oh yeah, this works way better than the, you know, when I took the hydrocodone or when I took the new Senta or, you know, whatever it is that, mm-hmm. um, they've had in the past, you know, it's, it's a superior treatment. It's not even just, oh, we don't like opioids. You know, it's, it's really like, no, this is a better, a better treatment. Right, right, right. And, you know, I'm curious um, to see, and you may have some information about this already, but it's just the two, two groups that you've had so far, but, you know, combining conscious life practices with Mm ketamine treatment, you know, what would that look like for patients and what um, results would they get? Because, you know, conscious life practices also give you the responsibility. They're like, Hey, you know, uh, Mm -hmm. yes, this has happened to you and this, this sucks, but here's a medication that can help. And also there is an internal dialogue and internal turmoil that may be also adding to the pain that is going on. And how can we navigate that internally? Yeah, Um, for sure. Yeah. And I think there is a movement toward, you know, integrating, um, you know, therapy or um, those types therapy specifically with, you know, ketamine or other psychedelic treatments for sure. Um, But to what extent, right. Can a patient just um, achieve some of that also with a a conscious life practice or, Mm -hmm. you know, keep some of that in their, Mm -hmm. you know, daily habits with conscious life practices. Yeah. I think that's, I think that's a real possibility. 
Yeah. Yeah. And I think you're already doing it. I think with, you know, the meditation groups that you're doing is and nutrition, you know, that's an exercise you that's like three out of, you know, uh, we have about 12 different ones that, you know, they're nuanced throughout the day, but, um, well, and, and I was just thinking, I happen to know a provider in Michigan who, um, you know, does IV ketamine therapy as their main, uh, main therapy offered in a, in a, infusion clinic setting. Um, but they also do, um, some lozenges. And so they have some options where for a friendlier price to try to make it more accessible to more people, um, particularly for mood, you know, having like a session facilitated with a therapist, um, the patients take a lozenge, they participate in a session together and, and that's part of the the, the treatment. And so you've got, I think that's interesting in the sense that, you know, there's the therapy component and the group component, right. For people who might be, um, longing to connect, you know, I think that could be really interesting. Yes. Yes. I, I'm a huge proponent of that. I think that is something that, um, will change the world of, um, not just therapy, but medicine in general, like understanding that, Yes, the longing for connection, you know, that's one thing that we all want. Um, and and these medicines tend to open us up and make us more vulnerable. So mm-hmm. when in a group setting, you're just open instead of coming from a place of judgment, you come from a place of empathy, from a place of love. And to feel that in a group setting is just, that's what we need. That's so healing for the individual. Right. And I think for some people, you know, depending on their, their background and their home environment, they may have never had an opportunity to really experience that before. Yeah. Yeah. Which is wild to think about, but absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. yeah. I think there are people that have just missed that completely. Yeah. Yeah. Well, that's beautiful. This is so, it's so awesome to be, you know, teetering on the edge. And as you know, more information comes in and as we ourselves, we experience things, we're like, okay, this is good for our patients. And Right. Why not incorporate it into our practice of medicine? Um, yes. I see breath. Yeah. <laughs> I think, you know, it's, it's really like almost as common sense as recommending like diet and exercise. It's just like the next. It is. Yeah. Next I mean, even in a deeper level, because we tend to learn these things in medical school, right? And the residency program that we go through and then specialty and we go into and we're like, okay, these are the things you do. Well, what does that really mean? Have I actually done this myself to experience like my own suffering? Like, have I dealt with my own suffering, you know, and trauma yeah. of the past to really understand that space that I need to come from to hold that space for my patient? Because, you know, in medicine, we, are, we have a very top down approach, this, you know, very masculine, very patriarchal approach right. and I think what right. we're bringing in is like hey there's also the feminine side we all have both sides both energies um and to balance it out to say hey um there's also the connection piece there's also the piece that does not need to be top down instead it's experiential and I'm coming from and when it becomes experiential there's a wisdom that comes from that, you know, for example, like, let's just talk about nutrition. When I mm-hmm. cut out all of my vegetable oils and, and we've talked about mm-hmm. this, you know, my yeah, yeah. processed foods and my, um, went through, went through the pantry and just threw it all out. I was like, yeah. uh, I can't believe we've been eating this so, so much trash. trash. Yeah. 
So got rid of all of that and like put a like piece of meat and like cut it up, made it into something and connected with it that, and, you know, did intermittent fasting and me as a being much clear minded, much more present. Um, and it wasn't just the nutrition. It was all the different life practices that I have, but that was a big one for me to have clarity, to be able to be present in this very moment, to be able to do all the things that I'm doing um, to serve myself and humanity and to alleviate suffering. Um, I think um, when you come from an experiential place, you have that wisdom so that you can hold that space for uh, the patients as well. Yeah. And I think um, it's a cool place. Yeah, no, I think that's, I think that's super interesting. And I think the, um, what you said about, uh, you know, coming to terms with, with your own, suffering, you know, as, as like a, a pain doctor, uh, right. There's this idea that, um, you know, pain is unavoidable, but suffering is optional. You know, if you've ever heard this, this oh, saying, I right? love so that. how, how do we, you know, every, everybody who comes to see me is in a place of pain, you know, but how can they have less suffering? Wow. And, and I think that's where it does involve, you know, okay, there's the painful stimulus and we have to address that medically, from the medical and mechanistic standpoint. Um, but then there's the suffering piece, right? And and I think we can get at that in a number of ways. And and one is with with some of these these life practices. And can we, you know, augment people's ability to help themselves? You know, I just think that's really, really interesting. Yeah, I know I love that. I think that's it. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, pain is unavoidable, but suffering is um is a choice. Yeah. 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 That's beautiful. So thank yeah. you. Thank you, we can thank help you so there. much. Okay. Yes, yeah. what a gem. Thank you so much, Sarah, for being here and sharing your wonderful experiences and expertise. And um, Sarah, I'd like to what is the name of your would you are you okay if we oh, sure. uh, put it on and put it into show notes and of course, of course yeah. yeah. Yeah, the practice is called Lifestream Health Center. We're located in Bowie, Maryland. We're about um, 20 minutes outside of Washington, D.C. And um, yeah, we'd be glad to you know visit our website and, and learn more about us and glad to to share more about, about my work. That's awesome. And is your um, group meditation, is that in, on your website if people want to find more about that or? Yeah, thank you. Um, not yet, but um, I will Im imagine getting it there. Okay, awesome. <laughs> and whenever you do send it our way, I will we'll put it on our, on, on our material too. That'd be great. Thank you so much. Appreciate you. Yeah. <laughs> and take good care of yourself. Thank you listeners for being here and sharing this beautiful space with us. Come